Good morning. My name is Kurt. I'm thrilled to be with you here this morning. And if you're new to Bridgewater, welcome. Please, if I haven't met you, come and introduce yourself to me later on. I would love to meet you. Um, but I'm so excited to bring you God's word this morning. And <clears throat> before I talk to you about the topic, I'm going to show you a little something here. Now, what I have right here, if you can all see it, right, is a $100 bill. Okay? Now, how many of you think, you know what? I think I deserve that $100 bill the most. Or how many of you think, you know what? That one, that's for me. Right? And if I offered this and I said, how many, if I were to say the first person up here to grab this would be the one that gets it, how many people would be stampeded? I said if, I said if. Okay. All right. So I'm not really giving it away, so sorry. But, but if you had this, what would you do with it? Would you spend it on something that you want? Would you spend it on something you need? Would you give it to somebody in need? This is the topic we're going to be talking about today. Topic of money. <clears throat> now, for me, I am pretty impulsive when it comes to money. Meaning, I, sometimes I don't really think about it and I just do it, right? And this more applies to things that are like, you know, small things. Like when it comes to big things like cars and houses, I do think that through. And I, I try and make, you know, good decisions with that. But for me, it's with small things, right? It's like, oh, man, I'd really like to go to McDonald's instead of packing my lunch today. Um, oh, I, or I'd really like to go out to town and country grill instead of eating at home. Or maybe I've had a stressful week, right? And then I can just excuse about anything that I might buy, right? Like, oh, I've been stressed out, so I'm going to go buy a Pepsi. Or I'm going to go buy a peppermint mocha at Dunkin'. Oh, man, that's good. All right? So, <clears throat> but did you know, if you buy a peppermint mocha at Dunkin' three times a week, um, for a year, do you have any idea how much that would cost you? $669.24. You know, it, those things add up, right? And that's a lesson that I've learned over the years. Um, and one of the times was, you know, I was in, a, I remember taking a pastoral counseling class in, in college and we, the, I was so excited when they started they introduced budgeting, and they started talking about budgeting. I know that's weird. I was excited about budgeting. Okay, um, but I'm talking about you know they were talking about budgeting and like this could really happen. And then, you know, you'd have money for this and for this and for this, right? And and then like over the years, I've talked to people and people are like, oh no, budgeting doesn't work. Come on, or people will say, I I haven't I don't make enough money to budget. Right? So those have been the excuses, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know, budgeting, if, if done right and you control your spending, can work. 
Because you know what? What it becomes is that more is never enough. And Jesus says more is never enough. Because greed isn't better than contentment. Jesus addresses that, that feeds greed and discontentment. There's three things. It's all from me, it's all for me, and I have lots of time. Those are the lies that Jesus addresses. According to Randy Alcorn in the book Treasure Principle, more than 15% of everything that Jesus said relates to the topic of money. That is more than Jesus' discussion on heaven and hell combined. So we want to take notice when Jesus is talking about money. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for them, sells, but but is not rich toward God. More is enough when we believe contentment is better than greed. Does that sound crazy? Does anyone believe that? What if I gave you the option, do you want $1 million or just be content with what you have? We'd likely be like, oh, I'd take the million dollars or at least be tempted to, right? But if more is always better than enough, then more is never enough. Life consists in an abundance of possessions, it says in Luke 12, 15. And it's good to clearly state the lies that we believe. Speaking them out loud sheds a light on them so that we can see them and that we can make change. Jesus exposes these lies so that we can find contentment. Lie number one, more is never enough. Because I think it's all from me. Okay, verse 16 says, And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Who sent the rain and the sun and the locusts? Who gave you health, your brain, and wisdom? When, when I believe that 
the lie that I am the source of every blessing in my life, then I lay the foundation for a life that is all about me and mine. Most poor, middle-class, and rich people believe they deserve what they have. You can't be grateful about it if you think that you deserve it. Greed and debt are usually closely related. That's an outgrowth of a deeper problem, and that's called discontent. I have a little fishing scene here on the screen here that says, Satan loves to fish in the troubled waters of a discontented heart. This gives Satan opportunity in your life to lead you in a direction away from God and to lead you into discontentment. A Business Insider article says that 54% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Now, paycheck to paycheck is defined as not having enough to cover in a $1,000 emergency. And it says 40% of Americans making more than 100000 annually said they live paycheck to paycheck. Living on a constrained budget may therefore have less to do with income and more to do with expenses. <clears throat> so when you can't cover that $1,000 emergency, you can't help yourself and you can't also help another person in need. You don't have the resources then to be able to help other people. So, therefore, there's two reasons to save money. The rich man was right in a sense of the fact of, you know, to save money for himself for the future. It's not wrong to have savings. And you're less likely to be a burden on someone else. You know, God allows things to come into our lives for a reason. And that's to grow us in our walk with him. He allows us to not have certain things so that others could help. He allows us to have certain things so that we could go on and help others. So he has a purpose in all of it, and we want to be good stewards of what he has given to us um, by, by saving and by being generous. And also so that you could be a blessing to someone else, because ultimately, it's not from us, right? It's all from God. So... The opposite of thinking it's the result of my own work is this truth in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Ultimately, it's all from God. My intelligence is from God. My physical ability, my physical strength, and my health is from God. The fact that I was born here in the United States and not Somalia, that's God put me here, right? It all had to do with God. So the understanding of that reality gives truth and helps us to better, and it makes it more powerful than greed. And one of the ways in which, we're going to talk about one of the ways in which we can practically move in that direction, and that's ultimately by applying gratitude, Okay? Gratitude is one of the healthiest things that you can do for yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There's been over 15 years of research that have been done on gratitude that have shown that, that someone who is grateful, it affects every single part of their life. I, I've used this uh, 
continually in, in, in therapy, and we're going to get to it later. We're going to talk about, you know, doing a gratitude journal um, and the impact of being grateful on your emotional well-being is tremendous. I will give that as homework assignments for people in counseling and to help them try and change the way that they think and perceive the world. <clears throat> We're going to turn to where that power really comes from. But what's interesting is that, you know, this concept of what they call, you know, gratitude therapy first became popular in the 1990s. But you know what? God has, has shown us this all along. So let's turn to his word and see what it says here. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, <clears throat> but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, this is absolutely one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I absolutely love it. You know why I love it? Because it's transformative. This is essentially a prescription for anxiety. Okay, now... <clears throat> I don't know if anyone's ever told you, maybe you're somebody who gets really anxious or you feel really anxious, and someone's ever told you, oh, just pray about it. Just flippantly just telling you, oh, just pray about it. And maybe you've gotten really angry with them, you know, I don't know. Um, but the reality is, is that in this passage we find that it's saying to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, right? But... Pay attention there. It says, with thanksgiving. It's talking about a focus. It's talking about a mindset, a heart attitude of thanksgiving. So when we're going to God in prayer, that thanksgiving's got to be, it has to be part of that. Gratitude has to be a part of our lives so that um, this peace that God speaks of in um, verse 7 it can happen. <clears throat> It just, it's not, just doesn't magically happen. It, it takes work. But that's why I love this passage because it's just one of those many passages of Scripture that goes to point to the fact that God's Word changes lives. And if we apply what God's Word says, then our lives can be changed as well. So in other words, the alternate to anxiety in every situation, right? Because it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation is prayer, but prayer with a heart that is thankful. Did you know that gratitude can also improve your physical health? When you're anxious and you're worried, that causes stress. Stress is the physical effect on the body, right? So you can end up with physical problems as a result of stress, but practicing gratitude can help, help with physical problems as well. Um, those who wrote weekly gratitude letters or kept a journal, writing things down once a week for 10 weeks, they slept better, they had clear skin, lowered blood pressure, and, less, and they had improvement um, physically if they practiced um, this for 10 weeks. Whereas if they only practiced it for two to three weeks, it was significantly less. So the value of not just, okay, I'm going to do this today, 
but no, the value of practicing it every day. <clears throat> if gratitude was a pill, pharmaceutical companies would make billions of it, not it. It's free. So what's going on and how does it work? Essentially, if you're, if you're not grateful, you're denying the truth and the reality of, of what God, who God is and what he's doing in your life. And it hurts when we don't, we're not able to apply these things and it can affect us emotionally, psychologically, and physically. And ultimately, it comes back to the fact that it's all from God. So if we grasp that truth, your body will thank you. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to actually do an application right here and right now. Okay, so I'm going to ask that you pull out your cell phone. Okay. Go ahead and open up your text message, and, and you know what you can say that, you know, it's okay that I'm texting in church because the preacher's texting at the same time. Okay? <clears throat> so go ahead and text the word thankful to this number, 570-278-2352, and you will get a reminder once a week to either write a gratitude letter to someone or to write in your gratitude journal. So go ahead, go ahead and do that right now. I'm going to do it too. Okay. Did everybody do it? I'll be asking you after. No, just kidding. I won't ask you afterwards. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> let me paint an example for you. Imagine you're walking through the forest. <clears throat> and after you walk in the forest, like behind your house, and you do the same walk every day for 20 years. Okay, the same exact, you plot the same course every day for 20 years. You're going to end up creating a path, a small path, but you're going to create a path in the woods doing that every day. Okay, <clears throat> now, this works similar with your brain. When you communicate the same Negative, complaining, or ungrateful thoughts in your mind, day after day, year after year, this creates pathways. It creates pathways that make it easier to complain, make it easier to, do, to have negative thinking. Because just like that path in the forest, right, the pathways have been created in your brain. And it just becomes natural, right, to go ahead and and complain and to not be grateful. So this exercise, you know, that we're doing, the purpose is to ultimately change the narrative, to practice gratitude on a daily basis. But it's really important that you understand that that takes work. It just doesn't happen because I say, this one day I'm thankful for these things. I mean, that may be good for that one day, but it's a daily practice. It does, it does take work. You want to change that narrative. 
<clears throat> the second one, second lie here is because I think it's all for me. <clears throat> Verses, we're going to go back to the passage in, in Luke 12 and read 17 to 19. <clears throat> he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> the rich man, he sounds content. Take life easy. I can stop working so hard. But if you read it closely, you discover that he's not content yet. This is his plan that he thinks will make him content. And if you look at that, class, that passage closely, you realize that that's not what ended up happening, right? <clears throat> he thinks he is close, but he never quite arrives. That's the nature of greed. Just a little bit more. There are three, three financial classes in the United States, and I'm going to give a generalization of a thought process for the poor, middle, and rich. <clears throat> the poor believe that money is for spending. The middle class believe that Spending money is for spending and saving. The rich believe money is for spending, saving, and investing. But ultimately, whether it's poor, middle, rich, the dividing line is not income. It's mindset. But here's the thing about all those mindsets. Jesus' goal was not to bring someone from a poor mindset to a middle-class mindset or a middle-class mindset to a rich mindset. No. <clears throat> Jesus speaks about a widow who had two small coins that were equivalent to two quarters in buying power today. What does Jesus say to her? Oh, you should, you should have saved more so you could ride to the middle class. No. Jesus praises her for giving it all away. So remember that it's not for me. It's also for others. The antidote, antidote to greed is not buying more things. The antidote to greed is not saving more money or investing in more opportunities. It's being content, thankful, and generous toward others. <clears throat> so what is your next step in generosity? These are three possible next steps. Number one would be to give regularly. It's like breathing in and breathing out, giving and getting, okay? Um, now, one of the things I've done to make sure that I do, that I don't forget, is that I make my, I make my giving automatic, all right? Uh, my giving to Bridgewater uh, is every two weeks. Automatically, it comes out. I have to prepare everything else for the fact that that money is going, that money's gone, Okay? So I make it automatic. That's for myself. That helps me to make sure that um, I don't forget. Um, my other giving is also is, is automatic, and it's on a monthly basis. Um, so it, give regularly. We have the option. 
you know, these days, you know, to be able to do that automatically. Um, you can do that, like, through the Bridgewater app or, or um, on the website. But I've just found that more convenient for me because if I forget and then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should have, oh, well, I'll just wait, I'll just wait, you know, and then, then I don't end up doing it or, you know, that sort of thing. So I want to make it a priority in my life, so therefore it's automatic for me. Um, <clears throat> the second one is to give proportionately. Pick a percentage like 10%, okay? It doesn't have to be 10%, but that's a number you can pick. Um, people think that the more money they make, the easier it will be. But in fact, it's actually the opposite. If you don't practice this concept when you make little, you're not likely to practice it when you make more. The last one here is give sacrificially. What will you not hold on to or not do in order to give more? If you already give regularly, regularly, maybe God has blessed you in a way that you want to give more above and beyond what you've already given. If you think you'll be more generous when you get that raise or you buy that house or you pay off that car or that student loan or when the kids are grown, it's just not likely to happen. We need to live with urgency, and we need to give with urgency. Lie number three is more is never enough. <clears throat> because I think I have more time. Let's read Luke 12, 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. How do I avoid greed and embrace contentment? How do I avoid the fate of this rich fool? You think the opposite of what he thought and do the opposite of what he did. Now, um, here at Bridgewater, we try to keep about three to four months of operating expenses in the bank, but um, we don't want to have a year saved up. We never want our church to be a self-perpetuating investment. We don't want to lock money away. We want to use what God has given us now to change the world now, because we don't know how, how long the world has, and we definitely don't know how much longer we have. So we want to we act now and take advantage now to do these things for God. More money won't buy me more time. We know it's all true, but few act like it. There is an urgency to this. You know, <clears throat> about eight years ago, my wife and I were preparing to go to the mission field as missionaries to Peru. Uh, we were going to go there and make disciples through counseling and through teaching. Now, during that time, we traveled to many churches. And one time, a church asked us to come and to help out at a vacation Bible school for the week. So we came up there, and we were helping out, and we stayed at this woman's house, this, her apartment. And it was really apparent that she really didn't have much. Um, we all four of us, my kids were 
they were small at the time, but they were all four of us in this one room with a mattress, an inflatable mattress that every morning we'd end up on our backs because it deflated in the night. And we felt so bad, we were uncomfortable with the fact we didn't want, we're like, oh, we don't want to tell her because then she's going to feel bad. She's so, she's so generous and so giving. And um, eventually she found out and, and she borrowed one, another one, you know, to give us. But, um, you know, during our time there, this, this woman, she had such a heart for Jesus, you know, and she was so excited. She asked the church if she could host us. And we were, we were just thrilled to be um, to, to be staying there with her and, and we knew she didn't have much but she gave what she had and it was really, it really, really moved me. Um, you know, and then <clears throat> we were there that week and that church did not end up partnering with us but this, this woman ended up partnering with us for $10 a month. You know, and I'm like, wow. Like she has nothing. Like, you know, she, and she's going to give $10 a month. And I was just, I was just blown away by that. Um, I mean, her heart um, and her generosity, it wasn't just, it wasn't simply just serving. It was also, it was also giving. And um, through that and many other experiences as we traveled, you know what? God was really working on me. Because here I was over here, right? Um... This is me. I'm like, oh, well, okay, God, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm preaching, I'm counseling, I'm leading Bible studies, doing small groups, um, sharing your gospel, right, right? So I'm sold out, right, right? I got all this, right? And then God showing me, mm, no, I don't have it all. I don't, God is saying to me that he, he didn't have all of me. And you know what? <clears throat> He did not have my wallet. He had all of me, but he did not have ultimately what he's given to me, right? Everything that we have is from God, right? If we have that belief, right? If everything's from God, then this is his. And if he wants me to use it for him, then I'm going to use it for him, right? So that, that process changed me. And it taught me I could serve all I want, but God wants all of me. He wants everything. <clears throat> and <clears throat> since that time, um, <clears throat> God has really worked in my heart. So whether you realize it or not, your heart and your wallet are connected. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If people don't give to something, they tend not to work or volunteer for it either. God has done work in my life, and he's shown me that I need to give. Um, a few years back, uh, at a different church, there was a missionary that was coming to speak, and um, that missionary spoke, and I was moved by the Spirit of God to partner with that missionary um, that church did not end up partnering with that missionary, but you know what? I knew that's what God wanted me to do, and the first thing I did was pull out my checkbook. I was a little shocked by it. Um, like, whoa. <laughs> so, um, and I said to the, to, the, to the missionary, I said, you know what? My wife and I, we want to support you for X amount of months. 
And he just smiled and hugged me. And it was just, it was just a great moment. You know, not only, I mean, he didn't even realize everything that I'd gone through as far as, you know, my own selfishness as a, when it came to money. But, um, but God blessed that. He continues to bless that, that giving and, and work in, the, in, the, in the, uh, reaching people for, for, um, for his glory. <clears throat> so, um, so God's doing a great work here at Bridgewater and around the world. And we can participate in the gospel through service, but do not let it stop there. Let it continue to your wallet. Okay? You've seen some of the great things that here, even here at Bridgewater and in this community. Um, we're doing this Christmas in our hometown this week, right? You know, that's, that's all we were, we're able to do that because of we have the finances to be able to do it. We have a, an amazing uh, children's ministry, right? And that happens, yeah, right? And that happens because of the giving, because, because of you guys. And, um, you know, we have a great youth ministry. We have an awesome worship band and tech team, right? And there's just so many things that go into the day-to-day as far as, as, far as um, what we're doing here at Bridgewater. Um, so whatever God's leading to you, and it might be here something that God's leading you to give here at Bridgewater might be some, someplace else, another ministry that God has laid on your heart. Um, but the reality is, don't let that be separate. Okay? Don't let the gospel stop with who you're serving, but let it also continue to your wallet. <clears throat> As a church, we've paid off our debt. We could start stockpiling cash. We're not doing that. That would be wrong, because God wants us to make more and better disciples now. We want to be doing things now for Jesus. We don't know how much longer we're going to have, right? We don't know how much more longer we're going to have the freedom to do so. We want to take advantage now, and we want to share the gospel as often as we can. Um, we don't know when Jesus will return, but there's an open door now. So I encourage all of you to take the next step and apply gratitude to your life. So I encourage you all to work through this exercise. If you haven't done that, text, text that number. You have that opportunity. There's also um, thank you cards in the back. They're in packets of 10, so that you can write a thank you card to, to different people for 10 weeks. Uh, trust me, by doing the journal, writing these thank you cards, it makes a difference. Not only makes a difference in your life, it makes a difference in other people's lives. So the thank you cards are out there, so please do that. Um, and then, oh, don't want to lose that. <laughs> All right. Um, so also there's the treasure principle uh, by Randy Alcorn that I quoted that book earlier. Um, it's available at the Welcome Center for Purchase if you would like. It's also, this is a fantastic book. Um, so please take these next steps, right? We can come to Sunday morning service, and you know what? We can be blessed by it. We can be encouraged. We can be challenged. But if we don't do the daily, day-to-day practice, then our lives, we, we're not, our lives are not as rich as they can be, you know? We... we um, we want to change that narrative of worry and fear, and we want to be filled 
with Jesus, with the treasure of Jesus. So tomorrow is not guaranteed. The rich fool thought he had lots of time. We all think we have lots of time, right? But we have to take advantage of the now, and we have to seize the day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we can't thank you enough for what you've done, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We could just thank you all day long for that. And I thank you for the opportunity to worship here today. I pray, God, that our hearts would be completely yours in every way and that we would serve you with all our hearts and our minds would be transformed, God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.